for me, it's done more than just um, the ability to read clocks and decipher time and, and, and what it's trying to teach me, but it's done a lot to my sense of self and my, my own self-worth as well. I've got a lot more confidence and a lot more, I feel a lot more calmer going into the things that I've, I have anxiety built around. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. The following is a review on the Apple Podcasts platform from Tuttle2007. It's entitled Life-Changing, Honest and Real. The validity that I feel when listening to these podcasts is unreal. There are things I've never shared with anyone because I felt too crazy or lazy, yet to hear so many women, obviously intelligent, successful, and professional women, voice the same thoughts and concerns and habits, I can't express the void it fills. I finally found people who think similarly and no longer feel broken. Thank you for all that you do, and please, and this is in all caps, keep it up. And then Tuttle goes on to give 16 gold stars. So thank you, Tuttle. I am beyond thrilled that you found this podcast and that it's meant so much to you. And I am so appreciative that you took the time to review the podcast because it means other women like you are going to be able to find these interviews too. Okay, this is episode 51 in which I interviewed Tessa McKay. Tessa paints contemporary realism and large-scale hyper-realism portraiture and is based in Perth, Australia. Despite being diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD from an early age, she only recently started to embrace and work on the kind of quirks that are associated with ADHD in women. Tessa and I talk all about introversion and the emotional intensity of the creative process as a neurodivergent artist as well as the inevitable imposter syndrome that comes along. We also talk about neuroplasticity training and Tessa's lifelong journey to learn to read analog clocks. I highly recommend you visit Tessa's website, which is tessamckay.com, and that's also in my show notes, because she is absurdly talented, like jaw-droppingly talented. Her paintings will blow you away. Here we go. Enjoy. So now you were diagnosed at a younger age, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so tell me about growing up with an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, my brother was diagnosed as ADHD later and is like sort of throughout high school and he like showed sort of classic symptoms, I know, signs. And, um, and so obviously my parents, that classic sort of story. But I showed like tendencies to have some sort of neurodivergence at an earlier, like, really early age but then I was I, I was the teacher sort of told my parents and then um I was diagnosed as having dyslexic tendencies so um it's interesting because I remember at I think it was a year four um uh, or year three or something I was in my class and we're learning how to write um letters and the teacher uh was telling us how to write the letter e like an elephant and and she wrote it on the board, and I just remember this thing of just looking at the board, and then looking at my paper, and looking at the person, the kid next to me, who had his whole A4 sheet of, with little letters E all over it. And I looked at mine, and I just like thought, I can't keep up with this kid. I've only got two E's, and there I drew elephants in the shape of E's. So. <laughs> They had like every E had like a little tusk and horns. Like and yeah, like it looked like a little elephant like that. I had like maybe three elephants and I thought, I can't keep up. I don't know how I'm gonna possibly fill the page full of elephants. <laughs> Took the teacher very literally. Yeah. Ah. yeah, that's fascinating to me. I my son is um he's nine, he's in the fourth grade, and 
I had never heard of dyspraxia until recently because his teacher was really getting on him about his handwriting and it's terrible, especially when he's stressed out and, and has anxiety. His, I can see it, you know, it manifests in his handwriting. Mm. And um, I was noticing that like the more she told him to concentrate on his handwriting, like the harder it was for him to actually write anything like to articulate his thoughts you know yeah. like I could just see it his brain working so hard and and I felt for him and I actually I remember asking I you know asking his teacher to be like look we need to let off like lay off on mm. this handwriting thing because it's really not that important mm, like I think mm. it's more important yeah. for him to be able to kind of connect with his uh, thoughts and his ability to communicate yeah. um but then when I went back into my old report cards I had no idea that I was also like had I, oh, I wow. had no memory of this, but apparently my teachers had all complained about my terrible handwriting. Oh, wow. I know. I had no memory of it until I had gone back to look at my old report cards. That's incredible. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So how did you get through that process of, of relaxing and writing or just don't even I don't. I have it. no memory of my childhood, which I think is actually not uncommon yeah. with women with ADHD <laughs> yeah. that have like very little memory and I don't know if it's just the trauma in of, chunks of blank periods um, yeah <laughs> right yeah that's I don't know if it's really just like um you know feeling like I feeling like you're kind of going through the motions a lot of the time yeah. as a kid. I don't like, I just feel, I don't have very, very lucid memories of any of my childhood, but yeah. I do remember my mom telling me that I was originally left-handed and my kindergarten teacher forced me to become oh, right-handed. No. Wow. And so I was like, not only were, did That's you force amazing. me to become right-handed, but then you complained about my terrible yeah. handwriting. I'm like, <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> right? Seriously. Uh, but I was never diagnosed with anything. And so yeah. uh, I'm curious when I talk to women who were diagnosed with either dyslexia or dysgraphia or some of the other learning disabilities, they often say that like they felt a little more, I don't know what the word is, like cared for or, you know, that there was some kind of ways in which there were modifications made in yeah, the classroom yeah. for them. So, totally. th th so they yeah. didn't necessarily have that experience of like, something's wrong and nobody's noticing. Yeah. And so I'm curious, did you sort of feel like you, did you feel like you were getting extra help when you needed it? Oh, or do you look, feel like they were just way off in that diagnosis? I think, I think you just have to look at the times really. And I think I was really lucky with being sort of, um, you know, identified with, with having learning disabilities or, you know, difficulties and, at a young age so then that just sort of became a part of my identity and and knowing that about myself made me feel a little like more comfortable obviously but at the same time the teachers had no idea how to really handle it I think or they were still I felt I got the sense that um I was still a, a bit of a guinea pig for trying to figure out how to teach me basic um English and maths and and clocks, reading clocks, I can't, I only learned how to read clocks maybe a couple of months ago. Um, and I, I remember the teacher, multiple teachers tried teaching me how to read analog clocks and so did the principal and they just eventually gave up because it was just too difficult. So I think, um, yeah, I think, like you're saying, you, you don't really remember big chunks of your childhood, but I, I certainly remember um, the periods in which I felt really sort of, um, swamped and overwhelmed um, and the inability mm. to to respond to things or uh, just feeling that sort of different that disconnect from the group um, uh, a lot and and it's yeah it's really interesting those sorts of things um, but I'm just trying to think of another scenario um, definitely learning language and I stopped when I got to high school, I, I was really lucky. I had a good group of friends and um, and then sort of towards the end of high school, I, I dropped out of maths and English just because I was just falling behind. It was the, the curriculum was um, designed to be for students who would achieve it at a certain pace and I could just never catch up with them. So I would I'll constantly fall short of like 10 or 20% under like average on, on most of my subjects. And 
no matter how hard I tried, I just felt it. it never really, it, like my effort was never commensurate to to the scores I, I was trying to get. So, yeah, that was mm-hmm. that was quite disheartening. And so, I um got to the point where, and I I, I have been drawing as early as I can remember. So, I guess you know, drawing, I mean, all my test papers were covered in animals. <laughs> it's such a daydreamer. And it's interesting, like I can't quite discern between what's dyslexic and what's ADHD. And, um, and, and maybe you could help provide some insight into that as well. So I'm just trying to unpack everything. But um, uh, I was such a daydreamer. And um, I remember coming home to school, home from school once and telling mum I had a great maths class and then told her all about the birds that were outside and like what was happening outside <laughs> <laughs> that was maths <laughs> sorry <laughs> but um yeah just really really struggling at, at, at school but drawing and 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 um and art became a place that I would just escape to every day so um that um you know, I've got a lot to thank for my school experience because I was able to do that and had those experiences as well. So, yeah, and had really good supportive teachers around me that knew I was a little different, needed some help. Um, and I think that that helped a lot. Having sort of your peers and teachers that understand you, even if they can't really help you, uh, in in the ways of you achieving higher marks in academia, um, that makes that counts for a lot because it just otherwise you feel a bit more on the outside. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so you, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, I, with ADHD. Yeah, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was goodness, I think eighteen. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. All late right. teens and. Was your brother's experience with academia the same? Uh, no. He, Could you relate? Yeah, he was good. He would, he would, he really enjoyed school and he got good marks, um, but he needed, um, he was on medication to help him focus because he was just the trouble, trouble kid at school. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then I, I'm on medication to help with my writing. So, um yeah, and that's that's been very helpful for me. So, yeah. And what was your parents' reaction when they found out? Um, oh, not surprised at all. I think uh, I, th- I think they just want to see me. Um, you know, every parent just wants to see their kid not struggle <laughs> at something. So, mm. and and seeing my brother, um, how it's affected my brother and helped him and supported him. There they were pretty assured that it would help me as well. Writing has just been really tricky. And I think with, um, with basic stuff like text messages and emails and getting back to people, there's just so much anxiety around that basic stuff um, for me um, that it's actually pulling me away from the work I need to be doing, um, which is, you know, painting and et cetera. So um, when you sort of start to see uh, those, like you start to, carve out your day and you go, geez, I, I spend like a good three hours trying to write basic emails to people that should take me like half an hour or at, at most an hour. You, you do realize how much time you're, um, uh, you're, you're pulling yourself away from, from the work you need to be doing. So I think that that's when I started to ask for help and yeah, look, look at other options and the Aerosmith programs fantastic for that too so yeah yeah and and it's funny how much we beat ourselves up for not wanting to or not being good at some of the most like ridiculously mundane tasks like responding to people in email or even just (laughs) chores you know like Mm. I remember just feeling like 
so much weight was taken off when I was thinking about all of these terrible ways that I'm, you know, I'm such a terrible homemaker and I'm so messy and my whole family must be so disappointed in me. And then I just remember at <laughs> yeah. some point self-loading, just being like, yeah. who likes to do dishes? Like, of course you don't like doing dishes. It's boring. Why would you like <laughs> to do that? And I just remember just being like, oh, right. Like, that's absurd. Like, why would yeah. I want to be good at those things? Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. like I'm putting all of yeah. my focus <laughs> in the wrong places. Yeah. And, and I think we have a tendency to like, put value into things that we can't do because like, it's almost like it mystifies you. Like other people are good at these things. Yeah. And so, and I'm not, so you put like an you, you put like an inflated value on those things yeah. and really some of those things are like so trivial interesting exactly yeah right? exactly well, like I goodness I just remember and I still like this like I, I'm just like I have to if, if I have to be somewhere on time oh man it's so hard I remember I would I would get to the place like a day before or like the like the wrong day or something and and then I'll try and get there on the right day and I'll get there two days after like it just wouldn't it was just so oh I know so tricky arriving at a at a place certain place and time on the right time yeah it's just and and you just feel um yeah those those basic things are really hard and friends as well is is um like I I really if I'm with somebody I'm with them as well but it's I have to remind myself to really reach out to my my friends and it's not nothing obviously nothing personal you just get so focused on what what is in your immediate world um yeah so just hearing all that from your other uh ladies that you've interviewed as well is just really interesting all those sorts of things that you uh relate to little interesting little yeah. little things yeah right I, i'm endlessly amazed at how these like seemingly random struggles from throughout my life you know all play into this one diagnosis like this one neat little package in such an incredible way we were like oh right uh you know even just the term hyperactivity is something that so many of us don't relate to in the beginning because yeah. we, you think of like a little boy who's being hyperactive and we were like well that isn't me I was staring at the bird yeah. um right but then when you start to kind of reinterpret hyperactivity and how it manifests itself in your thoughts and your brains and impulsivity and like rage yeah. <laughs> you know, right and it's like oh yeah okay fine I, I check all of those yeah. boxes all right <laughs> and now it's like oh I I like really deeply relate to the hyperactivity yeah. element yeah. of ADHD now the foster king the intense foster king right. yeah or just like the mood swings oh, and all of that yeah. yeah I'm trying to not get so emotionally just like triggered by stuff too so but it's, it's a double-edged sword for me because I'm an artist so you inherently the, the work yeah. that you do you're just like you're you're um you're inherently trying to like feel understood through your work as an artist and then when when you're working with, with people or clients or something and, and you know a debate happens or an issue happens it's just very hard to, to um, it's a double-edged sword because you, you obviously it's very, you care about the work, um, very hard to take things personally, but yeah, <laughs> that hyperactivity or that emotional irregulation, regulation, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't even imagine as an artist dealing, you know, I, I just finished putting together a course and now I'm trying to sell it. And that's the part I hate the most is the self-promotion, the selling, you yes. know, because it's such an emotional roller coaster. For one minute, I'm like, I, I send out an email and I'm like, okay, you can buy this thing. And then it's crickets. And then I'm like, I've made a terrible mistake. Nobody wants this thing. This is the worst thing ever. I've, you know, <laughs> I, I need done? to quit. <laughs> and right. What have I done? I've made a fool out of myself. And then um, you know, one person buys it and I'm like, yes, yeah. this is amazing. Okay, now I have to do this and I have to do this and I'm going to make this. And, you know, and you go back on the track where you're just like, I'm going to do all of these Suddenly things. Your commitment and to then like this that falls. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> and I'm just, so, I mean, there's so much subjectivity when it comes to like selling and as an entrepreneur, right? And it's so like, that is the thing that drives me crazy because I can't work for other people. <laughs> I've just admitted that part. I just can't. I've tried it many times and I can't stick but with a job great. longer than two years. So yeah. that part is out of it. So I'm curious, like, 
you know, I've had that issue with it as an entrepreneur. I can't even imagine the the that emotional roller coaster of being somebody who is so incredibly objectively talented as an artist. I mean, you are incredibly talented. So you must oh. get compliments, you know, on your work. But at the same time, I know as somebody with ADHD, what an emotional roller coaster it must be to then always sort of feel like, yeah. <laughs> am I actually, you know, are people saying, you know, like, what is the subtext and all of yeah, that? So yeah. now when you reached out to me, you had talked about like your sort of reflections on just on your path as an artist and looking back at at how ADHD has played into that. Yeah, so I'm curious. It's fascinating. What are some of your reflections? Yeah, so going back to, you know, school and education, I left when I was just just before year 12 and and I remember going, okay, well, I'm going to study art and that's, that's who I'm going to be, obviously. Um, and then I went into, um, you know, university on a, through disability and portfolio. And I thought, okay, well, they should have some support there for artists as well who struggle with, with um, you know, the written um, uh, units. And, uh, and I really struggled at uni. And, again, it's just that whole theory and conceptual side that I really struggled at because what I expected from university was um, technical um, was, was learning the technicalities of painting and sculpture and, and, um, and fine arts. I didn't realize it was going to be so concept heavy. And I, I, I just associated that with so much writing and, and also I found it really hard to do that deeper reflection of, of asking the questions beyond questions and, and, um, and so I, I found that, um, again, I took that on myself so personally and I found like a bit of, I, f I found I was questioning myself after first year. And although there's quite a high dropout rate, I just got so anxious. And, um, and so I left and I, I thought, well, I'm just going to, um, approach art in the way that I am craving. And then eventually I'll come back to uni when I'm ready because it seems like I'm just too young to, to go to uni. So I did. I went out and I painted um, a series of portraits and then I came back to uni the next year. I deferred for a year and then came back. And the same thing, I just really struggled. And so I, I, I thought I sort of made a pact with myself and I thought, well, look, I, I love um, the technicalities of painting. I love the skill involved. Um, and I thought if I could just paint, if I could just focus on that and do that to the best of my ability, hopefully that will just speak louder than whatever conceptual underpinning <laughs> I, 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 I could come up with. So hopefully people can just sort of see it like that. And um, so I've just really, essentially, I just have focused on that for years and I've gone down the path of hyperrealism, which is like... Um, very technical, technically based um, uh, realism. And so um, I guess, yeah, what I've realised though is I've sort of painted myself into a corner in some ways because I've not, um, the art world is inherently fickle and, and it, you need to be able to discuss your works and and have yeah you you need to be able to have a conversation about the work and your intent and 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 that sort of aspect of being an artist um, I it scares the crap out of me <laughs> and I'm not I'm really not good at it so I've avoided that by um, by by one going down the technical path but then also just not practicing that so now I'm going back to the books and now I'm trying to. I expose myself to, um, yeah, theory and um, philosophy and, and discovering why it is, what is it about painting that I love and why do I paint and all those questions, the stuff that I've never focused on. And it's hard. It's really, really difficult. Um, but it's exciting as well. It's, it's sort of showing um, me sides of myself that I'd, I'd never never thought I would find uh, challenging and rewarding and um, yeah it's it's really interesting so <laughs> 
sort of like a long answer to your question. Yeah, no, it was interesting when you were talking, it was you were reminding me of um, Naomi Osaka and the kind of issue that she's going through right now with the the cut that she, the tennis player who is refusing to talk to the media mm. because she was protecting her mental health. And so she was getting fined for not talking oh, to the media. No. And then now there's been this bad. And so then she had to drop out of the French Open. I think it was the French Open. Um, oh, goodness. Because she's, she doesn't want to speak to the media afterwards yeah. because she finds it too stressful. And so now yeah. at least the fact that she's taken the stand, you know, Nike and some other companies are like backing her. And now there seems to be this backlash against this forced, um, you know, the fact that athletes are forced to do these promotional tours and talk to the media and do yeah. these things that they absolutely uh, hate doing. And they uh, obviously feel a lot of anxiety and stress around it. And I'm like... <laughs> Um, and I, I really relate to that deeply because yeah. I'm like, you're an athlete. Why this, you know, it's that same idea of like, you don't have to be good at everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then if these other things are bringing you stress, don't do them. Exactly. Yeah. It's like uh, a threat. I think, yeah, it's like, a, it is, it's actually a physical, it's like a yeah threat on your body um, completely. Because I would say to uh, my lectures, which is no, no art lecture would ever want to hear this. I'd say, oh, the art speaks for itself. And uh, <laughs> you do not say that at art school. <laughs> that's, that's a huge no-no. But I just, I genuinely believe that. But I, yeah, it, it is, you do have to show up in ways that are so challenging. I, I think communicating ourselves in a way that, in a way in which we fundamentally feel understood can be so difficult for people with ADHD. I'm just listening to, Sari Solden's book on women with ADHD. And she was talking about the same thing, which was like, and this book was written ages ago. This is one of the very first book on, on women with ADHD. And she was talking about, you know, how we tend to kind of clam up and be very quiet and kind of yeah, withdraw yeah. in, in social situations because it, you, you feel often feel like you're betrayed by what's coming out of your yeah. mouth because sometimes you just <laughs> can't even... You can't even communicate your thoughts very well, and you never know what's going to come out. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so she was talking about like, yeah, oh, right? and she was like talking about <laughs> like avoiding social situations because you can't predict what mood you'll be in exactly. when you enter a room, yeah. and you can't write. And it's like so for your own safety, you're just like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put anyone in that position <laughs> because I can't I can't guarantee a what's going to come out of my mouth or like b if I'm going to be happy or sad. Yeah. Like there's so much about the way that we communicate that feels like a betrayal to ourselves sometimes so that true. often we just end up like clamming up and then somebody's like how are you and then we just <laughs> say I'm good thank you and then you know and then we get labeled the quiet one even though we are anything but quiet yeah. when given you know the right yeah the right combination totally I had so many situations I would go home and I'd just be processing what's just happened and I'd be thinking reliving the experience and and uh, when I'm when I'm deep in a painting, often I won't see people. Um, you know, just my husband. We we just see each other, and he's a writer director, so he's the same sort of like introvert as well. He spends like weeks in his room, and he he's he just sees his wife and his cat. That's about it. And so, <laughs> but then when we go into social situations, because we've been so um, in a quiet place for so long, you do have to really psych yourself up. But it it's even harder because you because of you know your dispositions as well in social situations. <laughs> so which is great chatting with you because it's a good it's it's good for me to practice talking. I think that's um <laughs> it genuinely is, yeah. I love it, <laughs> which is great. Well, I know, and I think that my husband is is a bona fide introvert. He always says, you know, he's always been one. And you know, I used to ask him a lot, like, "What do you love about me? What you know? I know why I chose you, but I could never figure out why he chose me." And and he would always say things, ridiculous things, like, "Well, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm by myself." And I'm like, "Well, that kind of <laughs> sucks." But, but as an introvert, that's like the greatest compliment, yeah, right? Yeah. Because he's like, I don't feel any, you know, he was like, I knew the moment I met you, I felt no anxiety. I felt no awkwardness. Like I just felt at peace. Yeah. And so that was like the best compliment an introvert could give. But for me, I, and I was sort of like, okay, I guess, like, I guess that's a compliment, right? Because <laughs> I can never, I can never decide if I'm an introvert or not, because like, I love 
you know, one-on-one conversations. And I think something that I, I think a lot of us, uh, I don't know if it's women with ADHD or just ADHD, but like, I feel a constant desire to connect with people. Mm. So I can get very lonely feeling if I'm just like at home doing my own thing. Like I, I feel, I always feel like I'm missing out, you know, that meme Mm. of like, I don't want to go to the party, but I really want to be invited to the party. Right. And so there's that sense of like always looking and searching. And I think that that's something that we have um, a lot of us have that need, you know, they, and, and I, I know in ADHD 2.0, and I think even in the driven to distraction book, like they talk about connection and vitamin C and how that is one of the biggest ways that we can actually treat our ADHD is to Mm-mm. talk to other people with ADHD and feel that connection and feel like we're not alone. And there are other people with these weird quirks who, yes. you know, have trouble brushing their teeth and like random things that you're yeah. like, oh, oh, thank God, I'm not the only yeah. one. Right. And and how like that feeds us in a way that is not necessarily typical of an introvert you know like I think we we crave a a sense of connection that never quite feels right a lot of the time in most social situations yeah and then you're like oh I just want to go home yeah 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 (laughs) it's time let's go yeah no that's so true it's you don't even really need to um say to somebody I'm ADHD or something you just you just you just feel it I feel like um people with any sort of um yeah neurodivergence is like you just sort of you feel it in the room and there's that connection it's it's really really fascinating um and then when eventually it does come out the dyslexic or whatever it's yeah it it it, it's just sparks just sort of happen it's just you kind of go oh okay there we go my my friend Yeah. yeah he he sort of he he was diagnosed late um uh, later in life and he he's just he's like I can't believe this this is my whole life just sort of explained and why I am the way I am and yeah it is it's so it's so fascinating um yeah I, I think I think COVID as well um how how you were saying before how a lot of women are being diagnosed now later in life because of because of the lockdowns and they're seeing it in their kids and reflected through themselves. It's just, yeah, that's very fascinating. It's something like one of the silver oh, linings. Yeah, right? mm. well, well, yeah. And I think now uh, it'll be interesting as everything really sort of goes back to quote unquote normal or hopefully not back to normal, but yeah. <laughs> you know, as we start to like, oh, I don't want to return to what things were, but I, I think at the same C-N-A-C. time, like as we start mm-hmm. opening up and getting back into a, a, a a more routine it'll be interesting to see like was this just was a lot of this actually ADHD or yeah. was it sort of just the trauma of the pandemic and everything happening like you know so but then again I think something that is very uh, endemic to ADHD is constantly wondering if you actually have ADHD yeah. <laughs> which, which then I'm like I feel like that's usually a sign you have it yeah. if you're constantly wondering is this actually it and you can't stop thinking about it and you can't stop doubting it, and you're like I don't know like there's often times where I'm like I don't know maybe I'm just a feminist living in a misogynist world and like we had Trump for the last four years like this I'm st- I have PTSD from living in this country yeah. like maybe that's all this is right and so, so much noise so yeah. Right. But then then I go back to this sense of like, no, the fact that I'm like manically obsessing over whether I have ADHD is pretty much guaranteed that that I actually have it. Right. (laughs) But like you said, like, you know, finding other neurodivergent people is there is that sense of like home, you know, and and there's and feeling like so accepted because there really is like the weirder, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) like we'll take it whatever you're in a safe place suddenly the conversation just branches out uh to just anything and everything really yeah and then it's been three days and then like the humor starts getting weird (laughs) yeah Yeah, i know (laughs) people start dropping simpson quotes it's yeah okay so tell me more about the aerosmith program because you had mentioned it in one of our correspondence when you said you were working on strengthening your neurological pathways. So yeah. I don't know anything about this program. So tell me about it. Yeah, it's quite a mouthful. And how did you find yeah, it? Yeah, so 
<laughs> well, oh gosh, it's like another silver lining of COVID because they, well, my mum had had been aware of um, this program, Arrowsmith from Barbara Arrowsmith um, created it, and and her, I guess her argument is that the brain, and this is you know back when people thought brains were um, fixed. I guess we were just born with brains that couldn't change. Um, but her argument was there was neuroplasticity. So, you know, obviously we know that now, but um, uh, that's the whole, I sort of the bedrock of why Arrowsmith is, what Arrowsmith is, is to um, help connect neuropathways that had, you know, people had, had struck, had, um, people, there is a disconnect there in, in people. And so, um, my mum was aware of this program when I was little and, you know, even sort of pitched it to me to go over to Canada and, and do the course, but um, it was just the wrong time and I just thought no. But um, since COVID, they've, they've started doing an online, uh, online courses for people, which has been great. And, you know, I do an hour, four days a week. And, and honestly, it's just, um, it's, it's been one of the best, best things because, um, one, I can read clocks, woo <laughs> and then, and then um, I've just felt like I've been able to progress in things that I've never been able to progress in before. And one of those things is writing. I can I can write emails a little better. Um, I can lis- listen. I can read books without in like a in a noisy environment without and remember what I've read, which is um, yeah nuts and. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's all those real simple little things um, that you just know that you need a very particular environment to do, but now it's a lot more easier to do those basic things. Um, and it's it's fascinating. Um, so everyone starts off, all the students start off with clocks and they start off with two-hand clocks and then eventually... Um, you do a series of exercises within the two hand clocks, like equal length hands. You read, you decipher which one's the minute hand or the hour hand. Um, and then you um, read the clock uh, and try and get your time down as well. So it's about accuracy and speed. And then eventually they'll add another hand. So you'll have three hands and then you'll have four hands. Um, and then it goes all the way up to 10 handed clocks. So um I'm at I think four hands now so it's but it's it's the way it's designed is that everyone learns at their own pace and they're it's sort of tailored so that you feel like you're achieving something every day so you get that sense of achievement and and every day is you do have to sort of you do have to apply yourself and work at it every day but you you feel like you get something back from the effort that you put in, which is great. And then you sort of notice that over the course of a week or a month, you've gone from here to there, which is just so, I've never experienced that at school. Um, And I just associate clocks and that sort of way of mode of thinking with school and and education. Mm. So I think it's, for me, it's done more than just um, the ability to read clocks and decipher time and and, and what it's trying to teach me, but it's done a lot to my sense of self and my my own self-worth as well. Like I've got a lot more confidence um, and a lot more, I feel a lot more calmer going into the things that I've, I have anxiety built around. So yeah, the, the being able to, like the fact that I feel like I can write an email, just it's, it means so much. It's insane how much that's changed my sense of um, self-confidence really. Yeah. So I'll keep going with this for um, probably over a year, the whole course. And so you, you, every student starts clocks, but they have a sort of a cognitive assessment, which goes for, I think for, for something hours. Um, and then you, with with that assessment, you sort of see the different um, areas that your strengths and your your weaknesses are in. So I'm good at the visual stuff, <laughs> but 
but I'm really bad at the comprehension and um, concepts as well, um, time and, and reading and writing. So they're the kind of things that I'm going to focus on and, um, yeah, see what happens. So, yeah, it's an interesting journey. That's amazing. Mm, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So is the school specifically for adults with dyslexia or is it just sort of they assess what your learning needs are in the beginning and so it's really for anybody? Um, I believe it's for anybody, but I know a lot of the students I practice with have, um, you know, learning difficulties. So it could be dyslexia, it could be ADHD. Um, yeah, it could be any anything. And I think that the point of doing the assessment is to get a sense of how people's brains work so that they can sort of accommodate whatever they need, really. Um, but I've practiced with students who are like under 10 years old and then um, my mum's going to start as well, which is really cool. So, yeah, and she's, you know, in her 60s. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, I think, that having students from such a wide range is um, uh, for them would just be really fascinating because they're adapting to different different generations. So like for my mum, for instance, um, they've started a program that caters for, I guess they call them senior senior people, but um, it's to, it's to keep your brain active and, and, and sharp. So um, but for me, I'm, I'm trying to reconnect those, um, those neurological connections that are just not sparking and I need them to spark. So, yeah. Um, and then some kids who are going through school, it's just sort of um, a, a bolster for their experience at school as well. So, yeah, everyone goes in with their own um, intention. Now, does your mother, does she, did you get ADHD from her? I don't know. <laughs> <You> don't <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. So has she, has she now reevaluated her life yeah. and been like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is going to make sense I, Yeah, now. I've put the question to her and we just don't know. It's so fascinating. Yeah. She, um, she thinks, yeah, she thinks dyslexia has definitely come through her family um, and because her dad dropped out of school early and so did her brother and they've they've all like fossicked they've all focused on one thing and they've they've been really successful at doing this one particular specific thing um so yeah it would be interesting but my brother and I um are IVF kids so I'm not sure if it if it doesn't come from my mum's side it would come from my dad's but I don't know the dad because it's that was the uh, the, the dad side was the donor, so yeah, it's it's um, huh. yeah, have no idea. It's a bit of a mystery box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, my father's the obvious candidate. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but because he's just he's much more of the you know kind of scatterbrained, inattentive, um, you know, pack rat kind of person. And so when as soon as I connected the dots, I was like, oh yes, okay, this is I clearly got it from him. And my mother has passed away. And so I like I really wish yeah. I could have conversations with her about it. Not only because so much of my childhood, she was very confused yes. as to why I did so poorly in school, you know, and like so many conversations like you know, she, you know, she would say things to me like, well, not everybody goes to university. And I know she was trying to make me feel better at the time. You know, it's not for everybody. Mm. That's like, that's what you would say as a mother to make your child yeah. feel better. But now looking back, I think like, God, like it was comments like that, that really like, you know, my self-esteem really took a hit because yeah. my self-esteem was so tied to my inability to kind of show intellect yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and and like you're saying with email writing like it's you're sort of like it doesn't it seems like a little thing but when when that ability to communicate becomes so yeah. deeply ingrained in how you view yourself you know in the world 
Absolutely. And it's something you can't master when you're so you're able to master other things. And I think that's what becomes so confusing to us is the fact that it's like we can be very good at some things, but we put all of our focus in the things we are not good at because those are the mysteries to us. Those are the puzzles exactly. to us. And 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 then you have a teacher or or teachers who say things like, well, why aren't you consistent? You need to be consistent. You need to get A's in every subject. And then that emphasis, you know, the, the, you know, the sense of, of worth as you're growing up is, is on like your ability to be good at everything. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is just impossible. Right. And so I think there are a lot of people who, you know, who don't think that way. I think they're sort of like, I'm good at X, Y, and Z. And therefore I don't have to be good at A, B, and C. But I think we're like, no, we have to be good at everything. everything. And if we're not, we will focus on the one thing we are terrible at. And that, you know, our self-worth will become wrapped up in that one thing we can't do. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Through school, it was, it was, oh, she's like, I'm not good at anything else but art. And that's just, that was just the narrative I built. And and um, mm-hmm. and so I put so much effort into into art, which I mean has has been good because it's meant that I've arrived. Um, I've had my own unique path, but yeah, it, it really really reassessing um, the how you got to where you are now um, is such a journey, and trying to express yourself through it all as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, very interesting. Or you think about, you think about like elite athletes, right. Who have put all of their focus and energy into being an athlete and then they get an injury and their career is yeah. over and you're just like, <gasps> oh, like, oh, oh, you have to like completely rebuild your life. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's almost, it's almost at that point, you're sort of, I'm like, oh, I'm grateful. I'm not really good at anything because <laughs> 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 now I don't have to go through whatever hardship it must be to, you know, lose that one passionate thing you're really great at. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. Yeah, right. It's so interesting the ways in which we gloss over immediately the things that we were talented in and and then only, you know, our narrative becomes such a focus on the few things that seem to elude us. Yeah, but, um, you know, culture sorts, like, uh, I guess you're, the, the world around you reinforces that so much. Like, for instance, I, I, um, I, I finished this artwork that was a large artwork for an art prize and it, was, it took me about four months to do and I put all my eggs in one basket with this work and when I got it done and I thought, okay, um, I've, I've literally had no income for four months and, uh, <laughs> and now it's time to get a job. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'll get something that can accommodate painting as well. So just a cafe job. And I've always done cafe work since I was, I can remember. So, but it was, I'm a bad employee because I would be, <laughs> I'd just be casual, but then I would have a pinch point with my art and I would just say, I, like, I have to go. So I would leave and um, worst employee ever. And then I'd come back. So like my resume had like maybe three months here, two months there. It was I never had a consistent job. And I was like 26 when I finished this work. And I remember trying to apply for basic cafe roles, like just jobs, casual jobs, dishes, all that sort of stuff. And um, one, I was too old and, and so I was too expensive to employ as a casual dishy. 
I couldn't get a job anywhere. And, and I thought, oh, shit, I really have to, I re- now I really have to make artwork. Um, so I need to sell some paintings because I'm unemployable. <laughs> no other skills <laughs> on my resume. Um, so, yeah, the world which I've created for myself in art, I really have to make that work for me. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Huh. Yeah. I want to take a minute to let you know about the new women and ADHD online community. One thing I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is, wow, these interviews make me feel so much less alone. And I totally agree. I believe finding our people and sharing our lived experiences is such an integral part of successfully managing our ADHD. So I've put together this online community for listeners of the podcast where we can come together in a safe, intimate environment and make friends and obsessively ponder our neurodivergent brains with other brilliant like-minded women. And we never have to apologize for simply being ourselves. With your membership, you also have access to all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, written transcripts of the episodes, and a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom. You also have the option to upgrade at any time in order to participate in regular body doubling sessions and live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we discuss life with our ADHD brains. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join us or find the link in the show notes. All right. I hope to see you there soon. So so now if you could rename ADHD to something else that would be a little more relatable, yeah. especially to women, have you thought about something that you would it, call it? Shame it's ADHD. I think all, like, all labels should just have cute animal faces on them and should every letter should be in <laughs> the this <elephants>. shape. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I love every it. Every letter oh, should well be you... in the shape of some sort of animal. <laughs> Tails and like no, but it, no no one can read it except for people with neurodivergence. <laughs> I've, oh my goodness. Something like that. I love it. <laughs> right? Big panda bears. <laughs> an elephant. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favorite answer. I'm kind of getting bored of asking that question too, because I feel like we don't know. And then sometimes people ask me, like, what would you call it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have an answer. That's why, that's why I ask question. other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I feel like I can't come up with a good reason. It's so complex. I feel like ADHD, just the more I learn about it, the more complicated it is and the harder it is to even sort of explain to people. And I think you know, like I get more and more frustrated even talking about it with people who don't get it, you know, yeah, like I, yeah. I've stopped trying to, I've stopped trying to explain it to people because it's so often when I first talked about this diagnosis, I was so happy. And yet there were so many people in my life who were like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. To hear about yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm like, it's no. not a terminal yeah, illness. I'm not like, dying. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting a high five, but it's okay. <laughs> I know, right? Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And even, you know, and I talk about this with my husband too, with our kids, like, you know, my son, my son, we're going to get him assessed this summer when school is over. And he's very, my son, my husband's very worried about the stigma and, you know, yeah, is he yeah. going to think of himself as lazy if he has ADHD? And I was like, you don't get it. Like he's going to think of himself as lazy no matter what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. But if he, if he can have a sense of where this is coming from and the why, like, he, you know, yeah. just ha- he doesn't understand the importance behind the why yeah. of ADHD, yeah. right. That ha- just having that explainer uh, makes everything if, a little absolutely. bit easier. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't mean we're not going to have emotional regulation issues or rejection sensitivity dysphoria <laughs> or like all of these things that plague us. But I think it just makes it a little bit easier. So true. If my folks are like, oh, don't worry, she's just, she's, she's just, uh, can't emotion, uh, she can't regulate her emotions, she can't express herself. It's don't worry, it's just ADHD. I'll be like, oh, that would be so good. 
thanks mom or it would be but, although although I would probably also get annoyed and be like don't tell me <laughs> why I'm acting the way I'm acting <laughs> don't tell me you know it'd be like somebody being like do you have your period do you have ADHD right now yes. is, this, is that what's happening too obvious <laughs> yeah 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 totally <laughs> No, I, I'm, I've got so much to thank for my parents. So they, I, yeah, they, they're amazing. They're seriously amazing. Yeah, I'm sure the same with your folks as well. Just um, what they went through and what they didn't know, but they were trying so hard to understand and wrap their head around what was going on and how they just felt helpless. <laughs> so I think the more knowledge, the better, yeah. really. It has been comforting too when I've spoken to women who were diagnosed, you know, 20 years ago as opposed to last year. Yeah. You know, that there really was no idea about what it was 20 years exactly. ago. So even if you were diagnosed, people had no idea what that yes. meant or yeah. what to do with it. You know, there was still a sense that you would like outgrow it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you'll like, grow out of it. Yeah. yeah. Or you'll just right? yeah, put in the weird club. Um, yeah, that's it. And <laughs> which is, you know, cool as well yeah but it's still just yeah it feels like we're all just kind of walking around those living experiments finding out about this interesting yeah crazy thing together like we're all on this one drug trip together (laughs) (laughs) like whoa that is so cool no it's it's fascinating with art because I I feel like a um imposter in my own um field if that makes sense um and uh, and I, I relate to people with neurodivergence of all all backgrounds and uh, kids, animals, all sorts of things. Um, but I find that the art world is just so fickle, and quite often um, uh, that's that's something that I'm I'm learning to to um, explore a bit more of, or just even explore the sense of what it feels like to be. Uh, a bit of an outsider in that world, in that space. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to ex- sort of explain it, but that uh, the feeling of being an imposter in your own field or in, in never feeling good enough, um, uh, yeah, that, that, that sense of never, never being enough. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing once, when, when things trigger you to feel like that. Yeah. How do you, how do you deal? How do you handle with that feeling, that sense when that sort of comes up in you? Oh God. Um, <laughs> usually I'd say I'm never going to do this again. And I See just, ya. I'm just like, I've made a terrible mistake and I'm going to crawl into a hole. <laughs> I don't think that was the answer you were looking for. But I'll remember like, that. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's the same thing of, you know, I, I mean, maybe there is some comfort in just knowing that this is part of the package, you exactly. know, like, yeah. I think, you know, the one thing my podcast has never, I've never pretended to like have the answers for anyone. And I actually feel <laughs> like in some way, that's kind of the appeal of these conversations yeah. is that like a lot of the time we're just digging through the garbage, yeah. trying to make sense of yeah, it all. Exactly. And, and and that, and I think, I think that is where the therapy is. Like, I think that's where we start to really kind of, I wouldn't even say like, that's where the self-improvement is, but I just feel like that is kind of how we heal and that's how we learn about ourselves. And, yeah. It's the knowing. That's how yeah. we grow. I yeah. don't, yeah. I don't think being like, I'm going to figure out the five tips yeah. to being a successful entrepreneur. Like I, like, I think we get stuck in that trap that the, the answer is always around the corner yeah. and that somehow we're going to, we're going to figure it out and everything's going to be happy forever. And, you know, I think if we stop trying to buy into that fallacy that that, you know, yeah. is achievable and more so just feel like, okay, how can I just like, you know, understand why I feel this way? Yeah, or like, exactly. You know, like this is, I'm pouring my heart out and doing something that is really meaningful to me. And then if, and then if I ask people, if I have the gall to ask people to pay me for it, there's just crickets. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, uh, you know, but to realize that that's sort of a universal experience. If I throw that out there and you laugh with recognition, yeah. then I feel better about myself at least because I'm like, okay, I'm not the only person yeah. who experiences, right? So, all right. Well, I feel like I've kept you longer than I should have. Um, oh, no. But thank you so thank much. Thank you. 
I hope I, I sound like I've just rambled the whole time. So thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty uh, of these conversations. <laughs> God, I hope I made sense. But no, thank you so much. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.